coming to you, undead from the crypt. This is Adelaide Horror Podcast. Adelaide Horror Podcast with Zombie Joe. <laughs> Hi and welcome to the Adelaide Horror Podcast. It's your host, Zombie Joe, and tonight's episode is number 30. And I'm celebrating Stephen King's 75th birthday. And so I'm looking at my favourite Stephen King film, Salem's Lot, from 1979. And I'm giving a horrible mention to Chapel Wait, which is from 2021. So happy birthday, Stephen. It's uh, Thank you for continuing still pumping out fantastic stories and horror that pretty much keeps our lights on all the time when we have to go to sleep but uh, and providing nightmare fuel for countless people for the past 40 years <laughs> but uh salem for me salem's lot is my is my favorite go-to stephen king horror film followed very closely by pet cemetery and it uh the remake and the original um so and with pet cemetery just the original one i, I like the remake but yeah it didn't get up there as 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 the original one did so um yeah directed by toby hooper um toby hooper you would know did poltergeist uh he also did uh, texas chainsaw massacre one and two and he was also the writer for the remake the current one from 2020 uh as well the writers well basically stephen king was the novelist on this one but the screenplay was done by uh paul uh, Monash, um, and he's done a lot of classic um, 50s, 50s movies that I won't really get into. We, and I'll just give you a heads up now. A lot of the cast in this, because it's a 70s movie, these were kind of stars in the 50s and 60s. And, and so a lot of their film credits are these 50s and 40s movies uh, and 60s movies that like westerns and dramas and all this kind of stuff that that we the viewer haven't really looked at realistically and and so it's not being disrespectful to them it's just i can't bang on for 10 15 minutes on someone's film uh credits if no one has even seen these films um so but they were big hitters at the, at the time and so i really showed you how this um really well prepared and directed script got a lot of attention from a lot of actors and actresses that wanted to come on board with this uh and then you just finally put the tie on the the bow on the top with toby hooper just kind of uh cleaning it all up and making a really decent horror film it was released in um the 17th and the 24th of november 1979 so it was shown a week so can you imagine, like, it's the pump, like, you would have been so pumped. Like, this is, I mean, people 40 plus know what it's like to sit and wait a whole week for the next episode to come in and you're basically, you know, pumping the britches just to, to see this, your next episode because you're so excited, especially if it's a two-parter and you're just like, oh, my God. So for the whole week at school... Or, you know, your friends on the schoolyard or on the at home or you talk to your parents and your friends and like, you know, what was going to happen, what was going to happen. And um, 
which is just unheard of now with the binging culture that we have. Um, so yeah, released on the 17th and 24th of November, 79. Um, the first episode did so well that the second episode had picked up so much momentum that people talked about it, that the viewing for the second episode on the ratings just went through the ceiling. And I'm not sure if there was other TV shows or competitive channels, but they were just blown out of the water that night because everyone wanted to see episode two of Salem's Lot to see what happened. And so it was very successful in, in that in that sense. And also they loved it too because the amount of advertising that went into commercials while this movie was being played and then those companies reporting back how well they did because of the time slot and so yeah it was it was an interesting thing to, to read into and research um how that kind of grossed out but we didn't get to see it in australia until like the 20th of march 1980 um i don't know what format that would have been in whether it was released as a movie at the cinema and then i've got a feeling it was released here on tv the same way but mate 20th of March 1980 I was like seven or eight months old so <laughs> I couldn't help you on that one I remember watching it on TV but this was like years later man like I was I was a little tacker so we're 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 talking like maybe 85 1986 it was shown on TV again but like late at night so you had to kind of tape it in order to watch it and it was heavily watered down anyway um so yeah um the streaming one, it was a bit funny because I've got my own copy of it, but I tried to look around and, yeah, you're not going to get much luck with this. Um, YouTube is renting it for, like, about four bucks. So if you if you want to get a good quality rental version of this, uh, four bucks would be the way to go, and you can get it done on YouTube. IMDb, mate. I'm, I'm amazed I didn't give a shit score this time, but my, my score is 9 out of 10 for this one. Um, the runtime is 3 hours and 20 minutes. Um, it's rated PG, and I, for first-time horror, absolutely. Like, this is, this is absolutely, utterly terrifying at the same time, but not enough to make a person who's not really seen a horror movie before rock in the corner like you know it's it's one of those weird ones to explain like um because yeah you could you could show it as a first time horror film a lock again discretion you know just just gauge a person that that you want to show it to if they're really gonna you know chub through your ceiling I, I wouldn't do it but if they've seen maybe a horror film or something a bit kooky and spooky and kind of held up okay then yeah i reckon you could you could do this one and what helps is that it is the 70s so it's kind of you know 70s color horror movie it, it kind of you get a bit desensitized you, you know you're you're kind of okay i'm here on my couch in 2022 for fuck's sake like you know nothing's going to happen to me but in the in like if you're watching this in the 80s or in the 70s you know this would have freaked the absolute bejesus out of you um so moving on to the cast now. So basically I've split the cast up into just by how the movie flowed. So you've got your main characters, uh, you've got your good characters, you've got your neutral characters, and then you've got your bad characters. 
and and so the the main characters that are kind of in the good category is uh, Ben Mears, played by David Soul, and you would know him from basically Starsky and Hutch. This is this was his breakout uh, movie. Um, you know, he'd been in Starsky and Hutch for so long. He wanted to break out into a film. This came up. He jumped at the chance. So, funnily enough, the way this movie is, if you if you kind of really look at it, Salem's Lot is almost like a three-hour-long episode of, like, Scooby-Doo and Starsky and Hutch. Like, it's, it's kind of unintentionally ended up... He ended up unintentionally being in a three-hour Starsky and Hutch fucking episode, and and that it just involved a vampire, like you know. So I, I thought that was quite funny, but anyway, um, and so yeah, <laughs> it is what it is. But yeah, still still enjoyable. Uh, Lance uh, Kerwin played Mark Petrie. He was the young kid. Good characters. So these are the older adults. So you got Ed Ed Flanders. I've already done that joke for Exorcist Three, so I'm not going to repeat it here. But he plays Doctor Norton, and uh, again, like you know, you would, you see him later on in Exorcist Three with the uh, Mike Whitney hair. <laughs> so uh, Bonnie uh, Bonnie Bedelia. Well, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but. Um, my major crush from Die Hard anyway. Um, she plays Susan Norton. And you also know, again, from Die Hard and uh, from Parenthood as well. Uh, uh, Constable Gillespie uh, is played by Kenneth McMillan. Uh, you would know him. He was in June. Um, sorry, June. It sounded like I said June then. I can't remember if I did or not. Dune. <laughs> Let's try again. Uh, and Murder, She Wrote and Magnum P.I. So again, the classic 70s and 80s TV shows are just going to start coming out a bit more. Uh, Lou Ayres plays Jason Burke and um, he was he starred in All Quiet on the Western Front and other classical movies as well. So I've got down here the neutral characters. Now, so these are like the town folk and you get slowly introduced to these guys as the movie goes on. They're not necessarily bad. They're not necessarily good. You know, you kind of work out who who's who, who you like, who you don't like. That's that's the kind of the gist of it. So you got uh, Julie uh, Cobb, and she plays Bonnie Sawyer, and she's done a lot of again small roles in the seventies and eighties. Pretty much after that, uh, George De Souza is the is Cully Sawyer and plays the husband. Um, and he was in Stargate, the movie, he's in Species 2, he's in Dangerous Minds, and he's in Basic Instinct. So he went on to do some, some you know, some interesting roles. Marjorie Glick, uh, who's the Australian actress, Clarissa, Clarissa Mason, yeah, we'd known her from Bangkok Hilton, the Ned Kelly movie with uh, Mick Jagger and, and Skippy. Uh, she's done a few episodes, so yeah, good on her. Uh, Jeffrey Lewis uh, plays Mike Riverson and uh, again a lot of 70s and 80s TV shows um, and straight to DVD movies. Uh, Fred Willard uh, plays Larry uh, Crockett and yeah instantly seeing him in the thing you know him from Modern Family, Anchorman and also Space Force which I've been watching uh, as well which is quite funny. Um, and then there's 
James Galloway, who's played Father Donald uh, Cullen. Again, a lot of 80s and 70s TV shows. Then you've got the Glick Boys. So you've got Danny Glick, um, played by um, um, Brad Savage. I almost said fucking Fred Savage then. <laughs> uh, Brad Savage. Uh, again, a lot of 70s, 80s spot TV shows after this. And then there's Ronnie Scribler. And he plays Ralphie Click, so he plays the famous, the little boy in the pyjamas, the first one to start tapping on the glass. And again, as soon as you say Salem's Lot, the first two things that come into people's minds is Count Barlow and then the kid tapping on the glass. Like, every every time. It's it's just um, ingrained in, in, um, in pop culture referenced in you know uh, eminem eight mile road like that refers to where he comes from as salem's lot um uh the simpsons you know bart's like floating in the window tapping on the glass for lisa you know it's it's yeah there's just countless countless uh references to it and then uh you know what we do in the shadows you know peter the vampire is looks ex exactly uh the same um, in in that sense, so it gets, Salem's Lot got a lot of nods. Uh, basically, also really inspired. Um, if you think about it, um, uh, Fright Night. There's a lot of bits in here when you're looking, especially at the end when they're doing the confrontational thing. They go in to get um, the vampire, and you're going, "Wow!" There's a lot of Fright Night going on along here. Even the staircase scene. There's 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 a lot of Fright Night nods. And Fright Night has kind of gone, oh, okay. Um, hasn't openly s copied it, but you could tell very much a fan of this. And so they gave a nod by replicating some of these scenes and adding their own twist to it. So you could definitely see the homages there. Lost Boys as well. Um, yeah. So, and then you've got the evil characters. So basically, Barlow is played by uh, Reggie uh, Nolder. Nolder. This guy was really interesting to follow up. Um, he had some burns and scarring and stuff. And again, it was kind of hard to, to kind of track what, what had gone down with this guy. But because of his facial features and, you know, kind of being pointy and stuff like that, he was always slammed as as a villain it's um and in a lot of movies uh he was in hitchcock's uh, a man who knew too much um and so he played a villain in that and then and then it's kind of all these other movies he always played a bad guy so when uh, so they got him to play barlow the poor guy struggled a lot because of the because of the makeup and the lighting and what they were using as opposed to what we'd use now um it was very uncomfortable and a lot of his like paint and stuff was peeling like his facial makeup was peeling off uh, they had to do multiple takes because of it um but the worst of all was his his eyes they were the prosthetics to get these things in was so painful that he uh, they'd, they'd do a scene and he'd have to take him out because his eyes were just getting absolutely tortured um so yeah you know the the level, the level of sacrifice these actors did back in the day to to really deliver a great performance is something as scary as as you know when I think of a scary vampire, um, uh, you think of Nosferatu. Which
and just the snarling noises he makes all the time like these really nasal snarls and you just it's just it's nothing you really hear from from any any kind of creature really in like a horror villain aspect it, it's really unusual so anyway me kind of moving on from that uh and then you've got straker which is uh, james mason who plays this kind of toffee um familiar for the vampire and i like this guy i like him as a villain because he's got that kind of you can't touch me attitude because of because he's the favorite for the master he's kind of untouchable he's like you know my boss will kind of fuck you up so he's he's got this attitude of you could do whatever you think you want to do but i'll just say the word and he'll just absolutely rip you to pieces so he's got that that instance of you can't touch me uh, kind of arrogance uh, through this through this thing and plus he's you know well to do and he's a bit snorty so you add all these together and you get this really pompous uh annoying um calculating villain um so it's it's pretty he's, he did a great job and it's it's while doing the research of the show the guy the writer specifically had him in mind to to play this character so when he when he approached james he jumped at the chance he goes i'd love to do a character like this this is I'd, I'd love to do this so he's he's played many characters before he's done uh, i think iron eagle or iron cross he played a german officer like this guy's done a range of stuff so to 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 play this familiar in this movie uh, is is really well done too so when you put all this together then you get toby hooper behind it doing the directing i mean it's it's kind of a you know this winning combination um and you and you get this phenomenal horror film and so basically the general gist of salem's light is ben mears is an author and he goes back to his childhood town of uh, jerusalem so um ben mears like i said he's back he's an author now um and he's back in the town and he's writing uh, a book about the Malston house which is where this vampire uh is now renting with well the familiar's got it he's opening up an antique shop as a front for his master and he's the he's the favorite and this is basically what they do and they go around and they hit a town they open up a, an antique store you know da -da 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 -da. pretty much when you think of that immediately you think of needful things ironically enough bonnie also films in that as well so it's i just kind of thought that the tie-ins were quite interesting and and when you see some of these scenes where the people are going in and they're looking at these antiques and and especially um uh, petrie's mum um looks at that antique and it's just like oh, i really want to i really want to have it and i was kind of thinking oh shit you know needful things it's it's kind of so i was kind of interested to think okay maybe Back in the 70s i wonder if stephen king when he was writing this he was kind of going oh shit okay here's a bit of a side story let's you know some guy opens an antique shop you know it's it kind of i've kind of intrigued and i'd like to ask stephen king if that was accidentally where needful things actually got came from um so that was yeah it's one of the things 
So anyway, he's he's there. He's he's researching for his book, and uh, in the meantime, um, he he meets uh, up with uh, Doctor Norton's daughter uh, Bonnie, and they they strike up a, a a relationship. So there's your love love interest in the in the thing, and at the school uh, he goes to visit his old school teacher, and that's where he sees um, Mark Petrie. And uh, the Glick Boys are also on stage, and they're doing a um, production about the Revolutionary War and Jerusalem's lights involvement in the Revolutionary War. And so um, that's where you kind of see the Glick Boys at the start. And like I said, as this movie goes along, it gives you snippets and pieces of a family or a cast member or the cop or the or the priest or you know the uh, the realtors and and um, uh, what's his name the Sawyers. It goes into the Sawyers. So the she's back home from work. He's kind of being sus about it because he's now thinking, okay, my wife's cheating on me and having an affair. So there's that inner story happening there. There's the Glick family and their little inner story there, and then the constable and his little inner story there. So every all these little things are going on, and the way it's done it's so it's done so well that you can it doesn't make you lose what you what you're focusing on in the film it's just really good character building but not smashed over your head that you're sitting there for 25 minutes getting this massive info dump on one dude that you just got to forget about in half an hour this is so really kind of inspiring directors and writers really need to look at this style and say hey this is kind of the blueprint how to do it because a lot of movies now are all about the info dump but they overdo the info dump to the point where you're just like for fuck's sake like you know i come home from work i just want to turn my brain off and and eat some popcorn drink a beer switch my brain off and I've got this movie where I feel like I need to go to fucking six years of uni to get <laughs> to understand what is going on. It's just getting way too complicated now. And this this like I said, this 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 movie's a good example that you can have really good character development without piecing on about it. And so they, they do it really well in this in this. So as as the movie goes on, we then see that Striker moves into the town. He's now setting up his antiques thing. He's now getting those local guys together to uh, help him move things and has offered them money in order to do this. So he gets uh, Fred, uh, Laurie, uh, Larry Crockett and um, he gets uh, Cully Sawyer to help him out. And also, and I forgot, I didn't grab his name on the list here, but uh, uh, Bonnie's uh, ex-husband. Uh, as well and they've split up so that creates a tension in in the um between him and ben mears and there's a fucking mate this the great thing about salem's light and i'll tell you what now i've seen this movie about probably six times now now the seventh time to watch to review in order to review this like so i look at it differently when i'm reviewing a film Mate, I tell you, the the jump scares in this thing are still fucking pretty decent, and there's a few that really got me by surprise. And one of them was the spring attack, and it wasn't even a vampire. He was the the jealous ex husband 
jumps Ben Mears. And the fucking way he does it, like, and I didn't even know it was going to happen. And I fucking almost wore my beer, like, on me. It, it made me jump. Like, I, I didn't expect it at all. I was like, holy shit, I don't remember this scene at all. But, um, so seeing it for the first time, you, you're going to jump out of your pants. Like, because the, the way this guy hides, it jumps out at him to, to crack him, going, you know, you've having a, you're having a shot at my wife kind of thing. It was just like, holy... It wasn't even a horror scene. It was just... The way it happened, it just really took me by surprise. But then when you add all the horror jump scares in this thing, it, yeah, you jump a few times in this, and it's it's really well done. So, again, notes to, to budding directors and stuff like this. This is how you do a jump scare. Like, because there was no music before this or whatever. It was just a normal scene. Ben was just walking around a room. Like, just, like, nothing is going on. Bang, he just gets jumped. And you're just like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, wow. It's pretty impressive. And, and again, you know, you're not expecting some things and, and you get it and you're just like, oh, shit. Like, so it's, Salem's Lot still gets it. It's, it's still, it still scares you. It still makes you jump and it still creeps you out. So this is why I love this movie so much. It's really, really good. And, um, so basically, as the movie goes on, um, he encounters the townspeople. He remembers an incident that happens at the Marlston house when he was 10. And and it's like, you know, there's something evil entity lurking in this house. like, And, and so that kind of gets touched on. And then as the movie goes on, it, it becomes Ben investigating with um, the... Um, <clears throat> with Pear Tree and with his uh, with his school teacher um, with Jason and Bonnie and Doctor Doctor Newton as well Norton, um, they all team up together and 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 go through this thing. And this is where I said it becomes accidentally, unintentionally a Starsky and Hutch episode almost uh, of uh, this vampire in a seaside town. Or why is everyone dying of anemia all of a sudden in in this seaside town? And so that was the thing. And then um, <clears throat> uh, Barlow, it kicks off. Like, and the, the, we see him. He's attacking everyone openly now. Like, that scene in the kitchen where, um, you know, a family's sitting together. They're discussing something and the priest is there. And he just bang through the window like and then just stands and just rises above it is just fuck it, it still scares the shit not okay that's a bit dramatic it's it's still creepy enough like and i just go fuck like but the thing there's a dialogue piece of scene that i didn't get until i saw chapel wait and then i went ah there it is and it's really well done so the priest is holding the cross up. Striker, like I said, is being an arrogant dickhead, going, oh, yeah, what is the master? What are you going to do with this thing? Like, you know, da, da, da. he's just talking shit on the sidelines. And then he says, okay, priest, you let the young boy go, and it's your faith against his faith. And I was kind of going, what faith does a vampire have? Like, th that's a bit weird. Like... And even as a kid, I was like, hang on, faith. Like, the fuck? He, he doesn't... He's not worshipping Satan. Like, he's not a Satanist. What would he worship? Like, a vampire, as far as they're concerned, they're it. 
everyone worships them. Like, there's no, you know, and I thought that was a bit odd. Uh, and I and I didn't think much about it, thinking as the movie went on, and you know, as I grew up and kept watching the movie, I never really thought about it. And then sitting again to watch this, I was thinking, hang on a second, I think, I think Chapelweight kind of touches on this, and I thought, okay, so watched the movie, paused it, went back to to Chapelweight. Now you've got to watch this film in episode five half an hour into this he meets the master in the main character of chapel White, meets the master and i'll get into who that is in a minute and the master talks about how this whole thing kicks off in salem's lot right and how the origins of salem's lot and how it's a a re, it's a not a religion per se but it's it's an entity that he kind of worships as well and so this vampire would too but it predates christianity and and so that's that's why he's like yeah you know you can you can try your thing with the crosses but it doesn't bother the master like it the young the other vampires it seems to freak them out for some reason and that kind of I wasn't really a hundred percent sure why that was the case. If that, but then again, I thought, hey, it's a movie. Just don't look and you know have a stroke over it. So I just kind of moved on. But I just thought, yeah, okay, I didn't quite get the difference between that one. And then, um, yeah. So when he when he said that, and then I watched Chapel White, it, it makes sense why he turns around and says, "Okay, your faith against his faith," because at the end of the day, Barlow is worshiping this thing like that's um, that has created him, and then has gone and again created the vampires under him. So there's a there's a ranking uh, with these with these uh, creatures. So I thought that was. Um, uh, interesting and so the the whole thing goes down in the kitchen and so and it's all these kind of you know little snippet classic scary elements that add up to make um salem's light quite good with uh with the suspense and with the horror and delivering the horror at the right time and then pulling back and then delivering it and then pulling back and that's pretty much what salem's light is and for a three hour and 20 minute movie, including credits, it runs incredibly well. It's not fast paced. The pacing of it is spot on. And I mean, like I said, I've seen this movie like what, seven times now, and I wasn't bored shitless. And this was a three hour movie. Like, and so that, it just shows you how it still gets your attention, even though you've seen it multiple times. Um, and you will pick things up that you may have missed on a couple of things. So again, the dialogue about the master and all, and the faith thing. So uh, yeah, um, basically the big showdown at the end. So the start of Salem's Lot starts in Guatemala and then it ends in Guatemala. And the events of Salem's Lot is pre-Guatemala. So. You get the Guatemala scene at the end where it's Ben and Mark um, Petrie um, together um, in Guatemala. And so uh, that's how it starts, that's how it ends, kind of. I'm not really going to go on from there because I, I don't want to release some 
there's, a, there's some major bits in there and I don't want to spoil it and I'm going to leave that one out but that's kind of where it sits so that's really Salem's Lot um, uh, for that one there and um, the book I haven't read in a long time so I can't really say if it marries well with the book um, if you've read the book and you remember please chime in in the comments whether you think it's the same thing like if it's if it's done it justice or not but like I said Toby Hooper was a great choice of director for this because you've seen some other Stephen King horror films they've done the directors and it's gone to shit like because the director hasn't done Stephen King justice on this one um, except the current Stephen King films that have come out they've they've done Stephen King's vision quite well and they've and they've honored him that way so that's good Chapel Wait I'll just briefly touch on um, now so it's Adrian Brody plays Captain Boone and it's set in 1850 in a town called Preacher's Corner and so this this town is next to Salem's Lot so and it's Salem's Light has already had some shit gone down in it already. So you kind of you kind of get the gist that, you know, Salem's Salem's Lights had its problems even back then. And especially with this kind of vampiric godlike creature thing that, that seems to be um ruling the show. In Chapel Weight it mentions that Salem's Lot was founded by a miner. And I I mean a a minor like not some kid like oh, i'm gonna call this place salem's lot like you know um and that voice was fucking creepy then uh so apologies about that the a minor goes in turns out that the miner's name was james boone so it was his uh it was captain boone's great great grandfather that started the the town because he uncovered while mining a ancient text about this thing that they referred to as the worm and this creature uh, makes people into vampires i'm hearing this and i'm thinking the serpent the the serpent one with with very young hugh grant or the leer of the snake or the yeah anyway and i was I'm just thinking of it now i'm thinking hang on is this kind of there's a connection here like it's a bit weird because that's another one that's a vampiric thing and they refer to it as a worm like um anyway so i'm not <laughs> i'm going massively off topic there um the so yeah chapel eight that's that's basically what it's about so james boone he finds this text and decides to cut himself and bleed and write and add his own bits because he wants to be a part of this creature's lore or whatever and as a punishment it curses him and it curses the bloodline down so every kid after that then becomes uh, stricken with these visions and all this kind of stuff and there's the master jacob so spelt j-a-k-u-b uh played by christopher hillel dull now this guy here always plays either someone good but usually always a villainous character and he's tall and bold and because again because of his features he got the gig and you would know him from arrow gotham falling skies true blood sanctuary is where i first met him 
and supernatural. A fair idea who he is, and he plays Jacob in this thing. And so this character is just as equally as menacing as, as Count Barlow uh, in Salem's Lot. And you kind of... Um, he explains in this sit-down, this info dump in episode five, about half an hour into it, about how Salem's Lot is now come to be so then you and then it moves on with the rest of the story for chapel White. so you as a as a fan of salem's lot you get the mention and it moves on like it doesn't that's it that's that's what you get and then chapel White's his own film so and that's good in that sense so then that way you know roughly the prequel to to how salem's lot came about and it was an interesting one how they did it i thought it was really good when you look at Chapel White, it's an interesting one because if you've watched the movie Midnight Mass, the the similar like it so flies the same that it's it's you could almost mistake it for the same thing, and uh, yeah, so it's it's um, it's a quite uh, an amazing TV show. So very very recommended. This this is amazing uh, TV show. I've been pumping through them. The episodes are about forty. 40 minutes or 50 minutes long. It's rated M15. First time horror film, absolutely. Um, it's, it's a definite recommend. It's good. It's that mixture of scary, but it's not terrifying. And um, you'll enjoy it for sure. So definitely get on Stan and, and check that one out for sure. And uh, like I said, it does a very good nod to Salem's Light. And uh, so it just, you know, sets up the whole explanation of what the what is going on because the movie Salem's Lot is kind of a bit of an open-ender and um and I'd say that was probably done deliberately because of the tv show side of it like it was a tv movie like not necessarily a film so I think the idea would have been maybe that it went on to be a film but it just turned out to be that was it Salem's Lot it has been remade in the 2000s and Rob Lowe played Ben Miz's character and it was shot in Queensland in Australia. So it has countless Australian actors in it putting on really not so great American accents. One of the characters, funnily enough, is um, the Glick Boy's mum and it's played by rebecca gibney so if you want to see rebecca gibney as a vampire let's <laughs> check it out um it's 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 a good one but uh, mate uh, there's some standout scenes in in salem's light and one is mrs glick when she comes back as a vampire and she jumps and her face changes holy shit and then she gets whacked with a cross and her face, just, she just goes ah, like this. And I still have that. That image got burned into my brain as a younger kid. Like I've said countless times before in the episodes, I used to go on Friday nights to town. And then I used to go to the comic shop inside the city. And I used to go through and I used to read through Fangoria. And, and the Fangoria had a, had a thing on Salem's Lot one day. And one of the major pictures was that picture. And it just got burned in my brain. It scared the shit out of me. Like, I almost, like, dropped the magazine. Because when I flicked it, it just, I just came face to face with it. And it just it scared me so much. And um, now looking back at it, 
as a horror fan, phenomenal scene. But as as a kid, like or someone growing up watching this movie, it just it just major heebies, major heebies. And the other iconic scene of you know um, of the kid tapping on the glass. There you go. But again, you know, an, another one of the best Sailor, uh, Stephen King movies for sure. Uh, and again. It and uh, Pet Cemetery come a very close second for me. It was going to be a very long episode if I covered all three movies. So I just thought I'd stick with the one. And um, yeah, so definite, definite recommends for, for all of them. Happy birthday, Stephen King. Thank you very much for scaring the absolute bananas off everyone for this long. And, uh, you know, good on you. We, we nearly lost you a few a few years ago to that uh, Benning run over, but you came back and uh, and you've managed to uh, pump out some uh, some uh, some more classic uh, horror. I feel really bad with my procrastination. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I really can't be fucking doing anything. And then, I'm th then I think to myself, you know what? Stephen King wrote fucking a novel while he was on drugs in hospital recovering because his pelvis got twisted in, a, in being run over. I'm like, shit. What's a, like, what excuse do I have? Like, get off my ass. Like, it's stop procrastinating, mate. So, yeah, anyway. It is what it is. Last week's episode, the last episode was fantastic, which I enjoyed, which was the um, zombie bite episode where I had the SA Ghostbusters, uh, Ruby and Charlotte over, which was really great. So uh, definitely uh, check that out. Uh, if you're in Adelaide and you're interested in joining the SA Ghostbusters, uh, definitely look them up on Facebook. It's a great cause. Like they do great work for charity. They're looking for members. It'd be awesome if you came and joined it. Um, like I said, no gatekeeping twats there. So you can just pretty much rock up and say, look, I like Ghostbusters. They're not going to smash you over the head with what one did you like, you know, uh, or anything like that, or tell you to rattle off dialogue. It's it's nothing like that. If you just generally like the film franchise uh, and you've got a bit of a passion and you want to help charities, uh, help them out by joining up and, and, and making, you know, the difference in the community. Another thing that was really cool uh, that I, I managed to uh, happen to me in between the last episodes, uh, when I covered the uh, episode 29, which was the NADOC um, Indigenous Horror episode, I was talking about Firebite, which was the local SA uh, vampire show. And Shanika is the character, but played by Chantel uh, Barnes-Cohen. Um, she came through my work. Uh, so I work at the airport. And uh, so I managed to, to see her. And I was a bit a bit starstruck. But I, I was, at the same time, I'm kind of reluctant meeting people. Because you, you don't know how they're going to act. And especially where I work. Um, people are so focused on other things that they're not uh, gonna, you know, they don't expect someone to come up and say, "Hey, watch a movie." Um, so I'm a bit, a bit funny and a bit shy in that regard. But it was really cool. I kind of sucked up some energy and some confidence, and I went there and I said, "Just, I said, look, Firebite was a phenomenal TV show. I just really thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to the next season." And it's quite funny because her character has this black hat on the whole time and she doesn't smile. Like, 
she just looked up at me and she goes, thank you, like, and she just lit up and she just, this amazing smile came across her face and I was like, oh shit, like, you know, and uh, I was really, really happy to meet her. I thought that was really cool to, to see to see her in, in person. And uh, again, yeah, looking forward to uh, season two of, of that. So that would be pretty cool. Um, yeah, anyway, that's that's enough for me on um, on those fronts. And uh, hope you're all doing well. Please excuse my footy, <laughs> my sneaking in my two footy teams that won grand finals over the last uh, last uh, week and a bit. So yeah, very, very happy. Very rare situation, I've, I've got to say. So I'm just fucking taking it. I'm taking the win, boys. Um, so that that's pretty good. I'm I'm quite happy to. Uh, that's a it's yeah. <laughs> Football wise, it's been a good year for me. So uh, that's that's good. Outside of the crypt and outside of horror movies. So I'm yeah, pretty stoked about that. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, please go out and check out Salem's Lot. Um, if you haven't, um, definite recommend. Like I said, YouTube you can rent it and uh, and that and also definitely Chapel Wait. You can check on uh, Stan as well and so yes thank you and stay scary and i'll see you in the crypt welcome to the adelaide horror podcast i'm zombie joe and i host themed episodes on horror movies old and new catch episodes of zombie bite a segment where i shuffle out of the crypt and interview local artists in and around adelaide to do with the horror genre do you have another horror podcast that would like to collaborate don't hesitate to summon me you can do so on Instagram, the Facebook group, and via email at adelaidehorrorpodcast at gmail.com. Stay scary, and I'll see you in the crypt.